Good morning. Today is Wednesday, December 27th, and my name is Scott Shera. I am Grace's dad, and today we are going to talk about the only known cure for the jab. You know, these things come to me um, since I've been awake. It seems like God has a way of bringing these things to my attention, and then it gets on my heart, and finally you think, oh my gosh, I gotta, I gotta share what God has shown me to everyone that desires to listen. So you'll see as we go through the slides how this came about today, but we're just going to get rolling. Don, can you um, put up the open slide? So the only known cure for the jab, that's our topic today. And let's go to slide two right away. And, you know, I've used this slide before. We've been programmed to believe lies from all sides and angles. And it would be best to just start out with the idea that everything that you've been told is a lie, less one thing. And the only thing that I know is true is Jesus is the Savior. Uh, anyway, we'll get to that. But the, you know, what, what, because I own a business, I really get into this idea until you know the why you know nothing. Why? Because I grew up in a generation where we had consequences for choices. So when you got a consequence, you would drill down and think, okay, well, why did this happen? Because you don't want history to repeat itself. And I see with young people, especially history seems to repeat itself over and over and over because they don't take the time to drill things down. Why? Because they've never had a consequence. And I don't literally mean never, so don't write me about that. But the the idea is much bigger. And you know, when we when we really discover the why, interesting things happen. And we're gonna cover that today. So let's go to the next slide, Don. So I'm gonna start with uh, why did Grace die? And you know, it really depends on whose perspective that you take to answer that question. But it has to be drilled down so that history doesn't repeat itself. Of course, Grace isn't going to die again. But uh, you know, I've, since I've become a full-time researcher and advocate, this why question is on my mind all the time. So we're going to cover this in the next slide. So go ahead with the next one, Don. So the perspectives that I'm aware of, of course, is the hospital. So in right at the top, it says any and all injuries or damages sustained by plaintiffs, that's me, may be a direct and proximate result of the negligence and or decisions made by the plaintiffs. So, you know, that's their perspective. So they're not saying, well, you should have never brought her in. I mean, that's my perspective, but I'm going to cover that in a minute. They're their perspective is that if I would have just agreed to toxilisumab, uh, if Grace would have been vaccinated, if um, we would have agreed to a ventilator, all these things, you know, then Grace would be alive. Well, it's it's simply not true. I mean, and, and those of you who have been following know my research proves that. Well, then you look at the bottom and the unvaccinated uh, bias came out in the first day doctor's report from the COVID expert. And he said, unfortunately, I think the patient probably would not be here if she has been fully vaccinated. So there's a bias toward the unvaccinated. So we know that uh, it's certainly alive and well yet today. And, you know, what was Grace's perspective? So Grace wrote, wrote me this or drew this little note uh, with the clown and uh, this is dad. Uh, he... He is so very funny, but then she wrote, and my head's in the way of the bottom, but it says, you know, dad's job is to protect Grace, okay, or to, or to keep Grace safe. Dad's job is to keep Grace safe. All right, so did I keep Grace safe? And, you know, the answer to that question is no, I did not. 
And I had to drill this down because if you look at the right in the middle of the screen, you'll see I have a screenshot from the FLCCC protocol that was in play at the time Grace supposedly got COVID. And if you look in the um, the greenish blue section, pulse oximeter, it says specifically baseline or ambulatory desaturation less than 94% should prompt hospital admission. So, I mean, that's what I was reading. And so because on October 6th, Grace's oxygen dropped to 88%, I obediently went, you know, did what I thought I'm supposed to do to follow the protocol. Of course, I was unaware that hospitals have become um, killing machines by the federal government dictates. Uh, but still, what was going on here? What was, when I drill this down, what was going on in my head? I don't want history to repeat itself, and I don't want history to repeat itself for anybody. So when I look at putting the spotlight on me, obviously, everybody knows we have a lawsuit, so the spotlight is on the hospital and the doctors, and they have a lot of sins to deal with relative to Grace's murder. But the sin I have had, had to deal with relative to Grace's murder was following men instead of God. So I followed men behind the FLCCC protocol instead of God. So then why did I do that? I mean, I trust God. So why did I follow men? Well, it's because the fear porn that was going on influenced my brain. And then I checked out of critical thinking and I did, I decided to trust men instead of God. All right. So now we've got my sin on the table. So what had to happen next? Well, I had to repent of that. And I don't want that to ever happen again. And the specific sin is I don't want fear to be the motivation behind the decisions that I make relative to anything in my life other than fear of the Lord. All right. So then what, there's one other perspective to take into account, which is God's perspective. And God is sovereign. So that means you could say, well, you know, uh, grace died because God did that. Well, that's not true. Because God's sovereign doesn't mean that he caused her death. He, God can't sin, so he couldn't cause her death. His desire, of course, would be to have her live forever. But what happened was is after grace died because god is sovereign we know from god's perspective he knew the circumstance the date time everything involved with grace's death before the day that she was born so i can rest in that and then you realize okay well then what is the purpose and i'm uncovering the purpose of course in real time so i want to lay this out as a baseline so we see that drilling things down is critical if we're going to um, come to why did it happen? We got to drill it down and then ultimately we can acknowledge our sin and repent. All right, so let's go to the next slide, Don, and I'm going to share the motivation that specifically got me to today. So I was speaking at an event a couple of weeks ago and I wasn't the main speaker. I was just talking um, about a new book that was released. I had my wife and I had written a chapter in the book, and the author asked me to come and speak. So I spoke just briefly, but then they had a Q and A session, and one of the men in the audience raised his hand and asked me a specific question about the jab. And you know, ultimately, I answered it, and then he texted back the author this text. And this text became the motivation of 
why I thought I should really talk about this because it's really important. So this is what he wrote. Nice job last night. Can't wait to see you again to ask a few questions. This text wasn't to me. It was to the author. I didn't agree with Scott in regards to him telling people if they got the jab, they need to repent for not trusting God. Your wife took it so she could see her family. Janie and I got it so her sister would allow us to come over to help care for Jane's mom. It had nothing to do with not trusting God. In fact, we didn't want to take it, but said, God, we trust you and know this is the right thing to do in this situation. That might be something Scott needs to think about before saying all jab takers need to repent for not trusting God. Sorry for the length, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so I didn't say this the way he worded it anyway, but you know, I did talk about repentance and that what people have to look at, why did you take it? And repentance is a necessary step if you if the jab was a sin to you. So anyway, that that became the motivation for this whole thing. And we'll go to the next slide. So was taking the jab a sin? And the answer to that is, I, I'm not God. I don't know the answer. But I know that the action doesn't determine the sin. So physically taking the jab doesn't make it a sin. Uh, you've got to drill down to the why. Until you know the why, you know nothing. So why did the choice happen? The Bible is a book of how and why, not what. God only cares about the heart. So you know, I can't judge whether if you took the jab, it was a sin or not. But we're going to walk through some things. So hopefully you have the ability to discern if it was and then reconcile with God. All right, so let's go to the next slide, Don. So I, I made a list of things that I've heard relative to people taking the jab and wonder, okay, are these excuses or are they a path to the only cure, which is repentance? And you know what I question when people start blaming is, do you have a choice or not? I mean, God gave us a free will. So that means we always have a choice. There's never a time where we don't have a choice. All right, so when you look at the left-hand side, you know, I didn't know. All right, so then, well, why didn't you know? I mean, it's, you know, you should have known this if you're paying at attention at all to what's going on. But, you know, if you're not paying attention, which we, we have that responsibility as a base responsibility, we need to know what the speed limits are. We need, you know, there's some baseline responsibilities we have. So it, it seems like that's an excuse. Uh, I wanted to travel. And of course, emotions trump our critical thinking. Fear, I mean, I already talked about that. That's a favorite weapon of Satan. We should always go opposite when, when fear becomes the motivation. I'm not talking about fear of touching a fire. I'm talking about fear inside of our heart. Uh, my job required it. And you know, I wrote on the right-hand side, well, are you trusting God if you're using the job as the excuse? Because if God's responsibility is to provide for his children, that means he would provide another job. Uh, I wanted to see my kids. That seems to be the common theme. Um, and my rebuttal to that is God wants the kids to know the truth. So when you stand on why you're not taking the jab and you take it back to God's word, that's what God expects of us. Uh, the government mandated it, and that, that seems to be another common excuse. And it's because there's a misrepresentation of pastors of what Romans 13 says. So they believe we're supposed to obey the government at all costs. Well, not, not when the government is sinning. 
that's when we take a stand. Uh, my family said it was best. I, I have heard that many times with older people. And so my rebuttal to that is who has the consequences, you or your family? And my doctor recommended it, which that's, of course, you know, that's a common thing. The doctors were incentivized. They actually believe it was good. Some, A lot of them don't anymore. Um, but then, so my question is, where is his allegiance? Because we shouldn't just blindly trust men. And then God called me to do whatever. So God called me into the ministry and to go into that uh, uh, the country where he called me to go into, they required me to take the jab to go in. Well, God isn't going to require you to sin as uh, part of the calling that you have. So anyway, these are just things to get you to think. I'm not telling anybody that you sinned here, but you should really think through, did you really sin or not? What was your motivation behind taking the jab? All right, so what does God say? Let's go to slide eight. So how did God handle the first excuse? So in Genesis 3.13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. All right, so she sinned when God called her to task, she blamed the serpent. All right, so then what happened? What we are programmed to think is that there's only one sin. Well, both the provoker, the serpent, got a consequence, and so did the person who was provoked. So the provoker and, and the person who was provoked both got a consequence. Why? Because both chose to sin. There isn't only one sin here. So God had nothing to do with blaming. So blame right in chapter Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning of the Bible, God said blaming is never an acceptable excuse. You're going to have a consequence for the choice you made. All right. Then I want to go to, this might be the most important slide, uh, the next slide. There is not a sin I would not commit. And I'm going to read from this book, Christ Esteem, because as I was preparing, I remember I read this book a long time ago, probably uh, 20 years ago. And I remembered a story in it that I want to read from pages 39 to 41. But, you know, on the left-hand side, I, I wrote, why can't we talk about sin anymore? It seems like we're so worried that people are going to be offended that we can't talk about it. And what is the cause of all sin? And the answer to that question is, is us, our pride. And then the third arrow says, we pray for God's power to fix things without acknowledgement of the cause. And I just have a, a simple story here. This, this happened probably 10 years ago. One of my wife's sisters was getting kicked out of her apartment because the landlord came and found that she had a bunch of cats in there. She wasn't supposed to have any cats. And so then she wanted us to pray that the landlord would not kick her out. And I said, well, you've got to repent of the sin first and then apologize to the landlord. Otherwise, God's hands are tied. He can't, we can't pray to God that the for that until you've done your part. Uh, so that that is how we tend to do things as humans. We want God to be the fixer of all the things that we did wrong without acknowledging what we did to cause it. And then I, I read a, a book that the theme was, if you don't have peace, repent. And when you start processing what I'm talking about today, I think that will be a helpful phrase. I use it quite often when I don't have peace. So then I have to drill down. What am I supposed to repent of? What is the sin that's causing me to not have peace? All right. So this will take a little bit. You can speed up the, 
the tape if you want while I'm reading this. So this is page 39 to 41 of the Christ Esteem book. And just a little bit of background for what I'm reading. So this is written by a pastor. He realized that he was a fake. And I'm going to read the story about the night he realized it. And it is, it's really, it's, it's awesome. So it's titled, Lord, Show Me My Heart. It seemed to me that an in-depth knowledge of sin was a necessary step in Christian growth. So I began to pray that God would show me my heart. It was not a disciplined, formal, kneel down, fold your hands and implore heaven type of prayer, but a simple offhanded expression, quote, God, I need to know my heart, end quote. I had read somewhere that God was very willing by his Holy Spirit to show us our sin. David had prayed in the psalm, search me, O Lord. I really did not expect anything to happen as a result of my informal, somewhat flippant prayer, but one cold night in November, one cold November night, I caught a glimpse of myself that scared the life out of me. Just a few weeks before my wife had come home from the hospital with our third child, a beautiful brown-eyed baby girl whom we named Susan. As is often the case with babies, and Susan was no exception, a middle-of-the-night feeding was required. In the midst of a deep sleep, I heard the voice of my wife, quote, come on, wake up. You feed her tonight. I'm tired, end quote. You've got to be kidding, I responded. In the background, I could hear the sound of Susan wailing in the next room. Can't you feed her? I'm tired too. I have been up every night since she came home, my wife responded somewhat angrily. You can get up with her one night. She was right. I had not yet participated in Susan's middle of the night ritual, so I crawled out from under the warm covers. Burr, it's cold. I quietly exclaimed as my feet hit the floor. November in central Michigan is not characteristically uh, or not characterized by warm nights. The clock told me it was 2.15. I stumbled into the next room and gently picked up my little girl out of the crib and together we headed for the kitchen. As the bottle was being warm, she continued to wail in spite of my words of assurance that the bottle would soon be ready. Finally, daddy and his little girl sat down together in the living room sofa and the feeding began. It was beautiful, cold crisp night. The moonlight streaming in through the open drapes created an eerie effect. There was something nice about the moment, something nostalgic. After the bottle had been sucked dry, we began walking the floor together, seeking the all-important burp. Finally, it came. Praising Susan for the fact that she worked so well, I gently lowered her from my shoulder into my arms. We paced the floor together. While I was gently singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, her eyelids grew heavy and she went back to sleep. I was proud of my accomplishment. I was eagerly anticipating jumping back under the warm covers with a sense of satisfaction over a job well done. Tiptoeing back down the hallway to her room, I very carefully lowered her into her crib and covered her with a blanket. She looked so beautiful, so much at peace. Gently closing her door behind me, I headed back to bed. Just as I had pulled the warm covers around me, closed my eyes and began to drift off, I heard the worst possible sound. Susan began to scream. I discovered an intense anger and rage welled up within me. I quickly jumped out of bed and angrily marched down the room to Susan's or down the hall to Susan's room. Just as I pushed open the door, the thought crossed my mind, what kind of person are you? I stopped dead in my tracks, my anger subsided. Wow, I thought to myself as I gently lifted Susan from the crib. I could have struck my little girl. 
I felt so very ashamed and even apologized to my baby for my anger. As far as I was concerned, any person who would strike a helpless infant is the ultimate low life. Yet I was capable of doing such a thing. I had been on the brink of losing control, gripped by anger and rage over the fact that my little daughter was taking away my comfort, robbing me of a few extra moments of sleep. This began an eye-opening process of self-knowledge. After numerous other less dramatic experiences, I came to the conclusion that given the right set of circumstances, I was capable of anything. I was convinced that there was no sin that I could not commit, no perverse act in which I could not participate if the conditions were right. I was afraid of myself. I no longer admired those who came to Jesus out of great despair and guilt. I knew that, but for the grace of God, there I go. For the very first time in my life, I saw myself as God would see me, wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I really needed Jesus. All right. So when we go back to the beginning of the pandemic, you know, there was a propaganda push uh, to create such a fear. And if that influenced you to take the jab, well, that's where your sin is. And we we need to reconcile with God by repenting. And that's the message uh, from what I just read. All right. So let's go to the next slide, Don. But what is sin? Is it obeying the Ten Commandments? And the answer to that, of course, is no. But in the reason is, is because we can all obey the Ten Commandments, but we can't obey the heart of the commandments. That's what the Sermon on the Mount was all about, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That, that when we start looking at the heart, so Jesus said relative to murder, if you have anger in your heart, it's the equivalent of murdering. And, you know, so all of us have had that. So that means when you start looking at the, the reason for the commandment, you realize we can't obey it. So why do we want to always focus on obeying commandments? Because we want our sin to be about performance. We want to be the center of our own lives, checking off that we did this, we did that. And Satan preys on that pride. Uh, God's view is that anything that is not from the Holy Spirit is sin. And we can do nothing pleasing to God. And that's why we must be born again. That's the first time when we can ever do anything pleasing to God is once we have a new heart. And, you know, last and most important is Christianity is the only faith that deals with the cause of sin, which is our pride. All the other faiths of the world pray, EY, on our pride being being the center of ourself, that we want our own way and that we can earn our our way to the afterlife based on our performance while we're on earth. And Christianity is the only one who that does not do that. All right, so then let's go to slide 11, Don. Sin breaks the relationship with God. Repentance restores the relationship. God doesn't want us to be uh, following in our sin. Satan does. The God, in regarding the jab, the God who created the universe, of course, is way bigger than the jab. He made the whole universe just by speaking it into existence. And there are bigger things coming, much bigger things. I mean, I've been reading to keep abreast of what's coming. I mean, are we going to have a Russian invasion, a, a, a communist Chinese invasion? Are we going to have power outages, food shortages? 
so there has never been a more urgent time to know God because he's the only one that's going to be able to protect us with all this, this stuff that uh, Satan has planned. And then last, what is the cause of sin? And I already said this, our pride, God and sin are mutually exclusive. When we are trusting God, we cannot sin. When we don't trust God, we can only sin. A couple of scripture references, 1 John 4, 1. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. If I would have tested my spirit, the spirit that caused the fear in me, grace would be alive today. This is the, the specific sin that I, that I committed against God. Uh, John 15, 5, apart from me, you can do nothing. Those are Jesus's words. I mean, that clearly tells us sin and God are mutually exclusive. And then last, Matthew 12, 30, he who is not with me is against me. All right, we'll go to the next slide. I already said this, what does Satan want? But here's a picture. Satan wants us to have this ball and chain around us of guilt. God wants to have us repent so that we're free of the guilt and God does not hold us in bondage any longer. I want to just share the next slide, slide 13, just to show people how diabolical this whole thing is. How do we get here? And there's been a slippery slope that started a long time ago, but you know, I started tracking it with the research I've done at the beginning of the 1900s with the Rockefellers introducing the, um, the uh, uh, oh boy, we're gonna have to pause here, Don, I gotta think of the word. Uh, so the Rockefellers introduced meds at that time at the beginning of the 1900s. So we at the first time in history, we had meds. Well, the meds started causing cancer. So then the Rockefellers, of course, fund the American Cancer Society. Then they fund medical school programming and throw all other alternatives under the bus through propaganda. Then viruses were invented to create fear. Uh, vaccines were then invented as a response to the fear that the viruses create. And you can see the slides over on the right-hand side. All these will be in the show notes, so you can study these on your own. But you can see how way back they talked about how polio was great. Well, then we know that all these vaccines were lies. And, and if you look deep enough, you can find the government admitting it. And the Federal Registry from 1984 shows the admission. Uh, psychiatry, another whole movement to deal with the desire for our society to be depressed and then let's tranquilize the depressed. My son Travis lost his life to, to the psychiatry treatment of depression. Uh, amniocentesis was developed as a process that your insurance will pay for that leads you to abortion. And in the case that I've studied, of course, Grace had Down syndrome. So in our country, 90% of Down syndrome um, individuals are murdered in the womb because of amniocentesis and the insurance paying for it. And then the couples not having roots to know that that is not what God would want. Uh, of course, we have scare homes, hospice facilities, uh, the Hippocratic Oath. This is uh, interesting how that was introduced. So we believe the Hippocratic Oath is do no harm. A doctor wrote me in May after him on, hearing me on a podcast. He said, Scott, we haven't taken the Hippocratic Oath in 50 years. But even when they did take it, it was a lie because it was an oath to satanic gods. It wasn't an oath to the God of the universe. Of course, now they come up with these white coats so that they, they have the authoritative position. And you know, allopathic medicine 
through this process of these steps has completely replaced God. And they have convinced us that it's science-based. And so we're programmed to trust allopathic method, medicine instead of God. And we've gotten to the point now where there's no God, so anything goes. So medicine now includes transgender surgery and you know anything under the sun. Uh, and of course, they throw in as part of Satan's way, they throw in some things that have been helpful to society, like ivermectin, to dupe us to think, oh, everything's okay. All right, let's go to the next slide, Don. The title of this slide says, don't be deceived. Why do we fall for these traps like vaccines? And it's because our sinful nature, as part of our sinful nature, we want safety, security, and comfort so bad that we don't check out reality. Instead, we make our decisions based on perception. And if that's you, that's your sin to repent of. We don't guard against the slippery slope. And then after a great period of fear, we are easy prey to security, safety, and comfort. I mean, we saw that, of course, with the pandemic, you know, people race to get the jab as soon as they can because they're so fearful of the pandemic. All right. Couple slides in closing. The next one, Don, the great deception. So this is this is a big deal. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 9 through 12 says that God is going to send a great deception. And if we're not used to relying on God, we are going to be duped. So this was written to Christian people by Paul. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So what do I see as the great deception? I mean, I'm not a prophet. We'll go to the next slide. What's going on is there's two major deceptions in the satanic world going on right now. The Great Reset, Agenda 2030, and then the Great Awakening, which is being promoted as the solution to the Great Reset. And God's way is always outside of the world. And why do I say the Great Awakening is is from Satan because it's missing repentance. It doesn't acknowledge that we got to this stage in history by rejecting God, which means the only way out is repentance. All right, the next slide, Don. So I picked this one because I picture Grace. Grace did not color this, but I pictured her coloring this. And you know what? The definition of religion is man's way to reconcile with God. And that's what man wants. We want to be able to reconcile with God on our own. And so we get religious. We think we can follow rules to get back to God. And God said, no, you have to have faith. Faith's definition is God's reconciling with man. So religion, man trying to reconcile with God, faith, God's way to reconcile with man. And he did that through his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him has eternal life. What is God? What is God welcome? Let's go to the next slide, Don. I really like this one because you know you think through how does these things that keep coming. Somebody wrote to me about the the Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. We're gonna play that clip 
because God welcomes misfits. Uh, and all we have to do is accept who we are. And this clip on the left-hand side is from the same book I was reading from before. And our pride fights the truth. Everything within our fallen human nature resists the divine assessment of the human dilemma. It is amazing how we fight to hang on to our tattered garments of our own righteousness and struggle to preserve our last scrap of human dignity. Even in situations where we pass through times of great turmoil and deeply experience the guilt and despair of our own human sin and failure and have our pride worked over by the circumstances of life, we refuse to admit that we are the problem. While everyone else around us realizes we are at fault, we claim that we are either victims of the circumstances or casualties resulting from the unfair, immoral actions of other people. We seek to justify ourselves. So again, I'm not throwing anybody under the bus here. I just want you to have an open mind so that you can reconcile with God and be prepared for what's coming. And we'll close with this clip and then I've got one final slide. So go ahead and play the clip, Don. How would you like to be a spotted elephant? Or a choo-choo with square wheels on your caboose? Or a water pistol and shoot jelly? We're all misfits. How would you like to be a bird that doesn't fly? I swim. Or a cowboy who rides an ostrich. Or a boat that can't stay afloat. We're all misfits. Oh, guess the storm was too much for them. Might, might just as well go to bed and start dreaming about next year. I haven't any dreams left to dream. We'll never get off this island. Never. Wait a minute. What's that? Is it? Is it? It sure is. It's Santa. Look, Rudolph is leading the way. You can see his nose from here. So in our era of predictive programming, I choose to look at that scene as predictive programming of God coming to rescue all the misfits in the entire world that want to simply submit to him. That's all that's required. All right, the final slide. Of course, I'm not against solutions. Uh, and in fact, we have a vaccine resource remorse guide on the resource tab of Grace's website. And I have it here. That's Dr. Lee Merritt and Dr. Carrie Made. I have links to their um, detox programs. And, I, and they're not necessarily the only ones. I'm not doing research on detoxing because I didn't take the jab, but I trust the two of them. And so I put their detox programs there. What I would encourage you to do though, before you start detoxing from taking the jab is search your heart, Have God ask God to search your heart because he can fix 
anything. And he cares that you have repented first. And then, of course, these type of solutions are wonderful opportunities once repentance has happened. Thanks for listening. I appreciate each one of you very much.